Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast your official source for a lack of insight and for basis opinion. Today is May 12th, 2020. This is episode 294. My name is Scott Magnus. This is Jake English. And on this week's show, we're going to get our annual visit from the Baseball Widows. We'll also get a visit from the Ghost of Baseball Future. And we'll do that right after we lubricate for the show. It's time for the Drink of the Week. Jake, what are you doing this, this evening? Scotty, I'm double fisting this evening. I am polishing off the last Michelob Ultra in my house. And I'm also working my way through a, um, a Moscow Mule. Sarah and I uh, went, to the, went to the liquor store and tried to find some new and interesting things to, to bring home with us. So I am working my way through a very nice Moscow Mule uh, with the copper mug and everything. So what kind of vodka and what kind of ginger beer are we doing here? Uh, I'm using the Deep Eddies uh, okay. vodka, and I can't remember the ginger beer. It's the one with the seal on the front. Are you sure it's not a walrus? Uh, you know, I I can't, but I I can't be sure. Okay. I thought it was a seal. What about you, Scotty? What are you drinking this fine evening? Uh, I am drinking a tall glass of water this evening. Um, I felt like... You know, I haven't been drinking water as often lately. Uh, we're starting to get into the spring and summer season. And as a good uh, former Y counselor used to tell me, uh, make sure you stay hydrated. Because if you don't stay hydrated, you're going to have a bad day. That's good advice. And Scotty, a tall drink of water for the tall drink of water. If you'd like to see what we are drinking on a, you know, daily or weekly basis, please join us on Untapped. Get social with us. I'm at Jake E4025. And I'm at MAGN8606. And with that, let's go to 280 characters or less this week on the Twitters. Scotty, I look, I, I know this is a, a tradition. We do this week on the Twitters and every show. It is a staple of Bird's Eye View. But I, I just got to... Come out and say this. I'm declaring Twitter bankruptcy. Okay. I, I just, I, I can't, I can't keep up with the kids anymore, Scott. I can't, I can't even pretend to try. Look, a, a couple of weeks ago, the Tiger King thing happened and I, I didn't watch it. And so I had no idea what was going on on the Twitterverse. And just recently, the Michael Jordan documentary is happening and I'm not watching it. And so I feel like at least half of Orioles Twitter is a reference that that's going over my head. So I'm declaring Twitter bankruptcy guys. I I'm an old man. I'm out of touch. I don't get it. Come back to me when, when baseball starts again. All right. So you are in essence telling uh, everyone to get off your lawn. Um, yes. And uh, in essence, you are saying you do not understand the memes and the gifts that are going about um, at this given time. I I need someone to tell me that's not how this works. So I guess yeah. the question um, pops in my head is I, I can I certainly understand, you know, not getting into at least one of these. But with basically nothing going on right now, um, you can't, you know, squirrel away you know a few hours of your day to basically go watch tiger king and or the last dance for the jordan documentary i mean do do neither one of those particularly give any interest to you whatsoever 
No, they really don't. I mean, for better or for worse, I'm I'm uh, really lucky in the fact that uh, right about the time this whole thing started, work got absolutely insane for me. And so I'm like pouring on all sorts of crazy hours. Um, plus, you know, uh, Sarah will talk about something dumb our family has done, uh, done lately that's taking up a, a lot of time. So I'm just, you know, I'm maxed out for, uh, for spare time for dumb. And, and I got to be honest, if I had to pick between the two, I'd, I'd clearly go with the uh, Jordan. Is it called The Last Dance? Yeah, it's called The called? Last Dance. Um, okay, I would clearly go with the Jordan documentary over The Tiger King. I feel like The Tiger King is, it, it seems to me like cringeworthy to the extreme and not in the fun office kind of cringeworthy way. Yeah, I, I think Tiger King is like, um, you know, watching Maury or Jerry Springer. Um, you, in essence, are turning in for the train wreck just to see how bad it could get, and it, it continues to top it, um, is the best way to port it. Or, no, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Jerry or a Maury guy, but if they had gone to American that's, University, that's because like you're, Judy. You, you're not the father. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. All right, well, let's, let's dive into a couple tweets that, that did catch our eye uh, this week. And with apologies, listeners, there will be no last dance. And though the moment seems to have passed, there will be no Tiger King. Uh, Mother's Day was just on Sunday, and so there are a couple tweets associated with that. I'm going to start with Joe Paparato, who, of course, tweets at Joe Papa. The Mother's Day Massacre. What did the Orioles' moms do to you? And it's a reply to MLB Stats, and they posted the uh, Mother's Day Massacre games uh, lineups for the Orioles and the Red Sox. Boy, howdy. That game was, quote-unquote, fun yeah um I, I saw this when mlb posted it and i was just like really but again when you're catering to red sox nation um you're going to show great games like this i was interesting to see that you know boston fans you know call this the mother's day miracle uh whereas we call it the mother's day massacre um it's it, just an interesting perspective to see how different uh groups of people um take that game in Sure. It's like the, you know, the British refer to it as the Boston miracle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh my right goodness. Along. Moving right along. <laughs> uh, the next tweet comes to us from the Baltimore Orioles. And uh, this says, remembering the legendary little Richard and wishing we could go, uh, we could quote, go play in the yard. And this is a, uh, you know, like one minute ad that ran in the nineties, I think 1990 uh, or 90, 93 with little Richard singing about baseball, uh, about playing, uh, in the yard. And it was like the Canyon yards theme song. Scotty, I, I, I missed this entirely. I had no recollection of this thing existing. Yeah. I, I don't remember, um, this, um, existing as well. I watched the video uh, again today and I was like, I vaguely recall this. Um, but the but nothing that is like stuck in my my head of like oh yeah this was a classic moment during the nineties um, you know good for the Orioles for pulling it back out um, you know just a really good recognition of it um, yeah I'm a little disappointed they didn't pull out you know some of the other you know themes and and songs that were on the on the radio for commercials at that given time I, I particularly like the the 1993 light rail um, theme that they put out. <laughs> Um, did you want me to sing a few bars for you? 
Oh, please. Uh, Der- Derek Arnold will love that. I think it went something along the lines of like they basically wanted people to take the light rail home. Um, so they were like, but don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're going to be. So, oh, darling, save the last dance for me. Because of, really? Ma- because of Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Scotty, that was a really long walk. <laughs> All right. This tweet is clearly in relation to uh, Little Richard passing away this week. Yeah. Uh, Little Richard, you know, rock and roll icon who, you know, w- was a fantastic and revolutionary uh, musician in his own right, an incredibly flamboyant, interesting guy, uh, a huge influence on rock and pop music, uh, including four lads from Liverpool. Uh, a big loss to the musical community. So if you find yourself with nothing to do here in the uh, in the lockdown, make sure you throw on a couple Little Richard uh, records and uh, and just soak it all in. Yeah, this is one of those ones where uh, I will claim bankruptcy as well and say uh, I certainly thought that um, he was dead at this point. Um, <laughs> I, I know that makes me awful, um, but um, that that is the. Gosh, darn the truth. Um, favorite Little Richard song, uh, Mr. English? Oh, uh, probably Long Tall Sally. Long Tall Sally's good. Uh, I actually like Blueberry Hill. Um, but uh, No, no, no. That's um, that's Fats Domino. Oh, is that Fats Domino? Yeah. You sure? Uh, yeah. Okay. Dude, 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 of all the things I'm going to get wrong, that's not on it. Okay. Yeah, Long Tall, long tall Sally is, uh, is, is by far my favorite. Okay. But, but you know... When when Little Richard uh, passed and I, I saw the news come through, my first thought was, oh, is this another Internet hoax? But I knew it had to be true because they weren't claiming that he died of COVID-19. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else do the Twitters hold in store for us this week? Uh, let's see. We've got um, oh, something from ESPN here. Uh, our favorite, oh, your favorite. favorite four-letter network. Eight years ago, Orioles DH Chris Davis took the mound. He pitched two innings, struck out an all-star. I uh, became the first AL position player in 40 years to record a win. Uh, Jake, uh, who was the first AL position player to record a save um, in recent times? I believe that was Dr. Poopoo. That was Dr. Poopoo, of course. Uh, but again, talking about Mother's Day games, another great example of 2012, uh, the Orioles having a, uh, a a memorable and monumental game here. Um, and just, you know, I think it was like six and a half hours long. Um, just a really great game to see. Um, and when Adam Jones blasted, um, that home run, um, it just, oh, so good. <laughs> so good. That, that game was fun because I, I have this memory of us going down to my dad's house and we live about an hour away. And so we started the game, listened to an hour of it in the, in the car, went down, hung out with dad for a little bit. And I think we finished the game back at home. <laughs> <laughs> so on the television. So the game was long enough that it, it withstood, you know, two long car rides and still had plenty of baseball left to give. That was, that was such a, a fun, fun game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember coming back from the beach um, and basically listening to it all the way back. And I still got to watch another two hours of it um, after we got home. Um, and I just basically told my wife, like, I need to watch this, which again, not the best thing to say on mother's day. Um, but again, it was a game that I knew was going to be special. Um, and it was a game that we hadn't seen in a long time. Um, again, 2012, we were coming out of the dark ages. We didn't know what the 2012 season was going to really be. 
But at the end of that game, you know, you thought to yourself, this season could be different um, based off of that's a game that the Orioles typically wouldn't win. It's so funny to me how many crazy th- things happen in 2012, right? Um, you know, you have that game. You have the 18-inning win in uh, Seattle. You have so many, you know, weird, weird things actually going the Orioles' way in 2012. And at the time, it was like, holy crap, I can't believe that happened. But when you kind of go back and look at it, it really was, you know, the perfect storm season. And, uh, you know, I, I try to try to fuel myself off that now that we're back in the dark ages 2.0 yeah that was the season where the orioles continued to win by one run basically um and everyone was just like well it's not possible that they're going to continue to do this and this got into the great pythagorean uh debate as it were in terms of whether run differential was a a meaningful stat which of course it is um but yeah just a, a really fun season and we don't have to say that to our audience but again these are the kind of games that you look back on and we will always remember 2012 and 2014 and even 2016. Um, I think we've, we've talked about that recently with the resurgence of Hansu Kim with KBO baseball being played as well. All right. Our last tweet for this week on the Twitters is going to go to our friend Ryan Blake over at Orioles fans problems. That's at Orioles fans, uh, Orioles fan probs with a Z. Happy mother's day to Carol Rutschman. Uh, <clears throat> and also my mom, I guess. I think that really sums up how Birdland feels. Sure. Yeah. Um, we all but, but, love Ryan Blake's mom. Yes. There's no question <laughs> about it. Scotty, with, with all due respect to, to Carol Rutschman, when I think about Oriole moms, uh, you you can't beat Trey Mancini's mom, right? Uh, I think uh, Trey Mancini's mom is uh, definitely up there. Um, I also think that we've got to give a little bit of a tip of the cap to Viv Ripken uh, for basically being abducted. Um, and then, Stop, that's awful. And then being rescued, uh, and then making sure that there were no further charges and or investigations into who abducted her. I mean, that takes a certain level of clout, as it were. I was ready for this really heartfelt thing about Five Ripken, and he went completely the opposite direction. I'm pretty sure that Viv Ripken was uh, hitting up the Tinder, and the date just did not go the right way. That hate mail can go directly to Scott at VerzaFUBaltimore.com. Look, if no uh, one, it, all... it's very suspicious, okay? I mean, if we're not going to call a spade a spade, you know what? This is a great idea. So obviously we've got this these 10-part docu-series about Jordan. I would love to see like an Unsolved Mysteries episode on the Viv Ripken abduction. Like I would turn into that and just analyze the heck out of it. So, so you want like a serial podcast about Viv Ripken's abduction. Is oh, that I'm hearing? I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, Sam and Alan, uh, get to work on that. You guys could be millionaires. There's no question about it. I mean, I would put in like an extra $1,000 just to listen to that. Um, but yeah. Oh. Okay. Uh, well, with all that really heartfelt talk about Mother's Day, uh, I think we should probably, you know, vacate the studio and and uh, give the opportunity to the baseball widows to grace the airwaves again for what is my favorite episode of the year.
Good evening, Birdland. Welcome back to the Baseball Widows Takeover. Happy Mother's Day, everybody. Happy Mother's Day, Sarah. How was your day? It was really great. I did something for Mother's Day this weekend that I never thought I would do in my whole entire life. And what was that? I got a dog. Aw, tell me about him. Um, So he's super cute. His name is Albus, as in Albus Dumbledore. Duh. And he's a cockapoo, and he's eight weeks old, and he's just adorable and likes to sleep and pee and eat and hop around in the grass. That's what I like to do. <laughs> I've never seen you hop around in the, gla- in the grass before. <laughs> I hope you've never seen or me pee, pee either. <laughs> Definitely not. All right. So in our Mother's Day tradition, we have decided to take over a segment of Bird's Eye View. What's your drink of the week, Sarah? Um, I'm having a glass of Moscato. Ah, and I am having a glass of Malbec, so red and white. There you go. Yummy, yummy. All right, so baseball is one of the many facets of life impacted by the COVID-19 lockdown. And as such, the boys are less engaged in Orioles baseball than, I guess, at any other point in our marriages and really probably their entire lives. Um, But because of that, there's some good news and also a little bit of bad news. I think some of the good news is that Scott and I have a lot more time to spend together. So we've been catching up on all the TV shows that we're supposed to watch. Um, We're almost finished with Schitt's Creek, and I think we're going to start Ozark next. But the bad news is I'm way behind on the television shows that I like to watch while Scott is watching baseball. So I have no idea what's happening with any of the Real Housewives, New York or Beverly Hills. Oh, dear. Tragic. (laughs) Um, Those are good shows. I've heard a lot of good things about them, but we don't watch either of them. So maybe we need to get on that. Um, Well, I was thinking about it. And I was thinking the good news is that we do not have to watch Lost after loss after loss so true but that does mean that the bad news is we don't get to see any of the wins and we're not meeting any of the new guys on the team this year yeah i don't know that i could really tell you who is on the team this year same i mean yeah but the good news about not going to games is we are saving a lot of money Not just on tickets, but we're not paying for tolls, we're not paying for parking, we're not paying for concessions. But the bad news is, it's not like we can go do anything fun with that money. You can only pay for so many DoorDash deliveries. Uh, Have you heard about Amazon? Yeah, that's a problem (laughs) for me, so I try to stay away. Not as fun as a baseball game. Certainly not, no. Um, Some of the good news over here at my house is that I do not have to do an entire load of orange laundry every single week. That is true. But the bad news is that the black morning clothes that he's wearing as a ode to the loss of baseball is really kind of getting depressing. (laughs) I think that some of the good news to come out of this is that we all have a lot more time to spend together. But... That means that we all have a lot of time to spend together. I miss you guys in real life. I miss you guys in real life, too. It's not the same. (sighs) Well, hopefully by next baseball season, we will have just good news. Good news on 
the COVID front, good news on the baseball front, and maybe we'll even get to see some winning games next year. Here's hoping. Happy Mother's Day, Birdland. Happy Mother's Day. Scott, now that the professionals have left the room, why don't we allow the amateurs to take over again, and we'll uh, we'll see what we can do about baseball here, and see what we can find to talk about. Let's go around the bases and, and start at first base, which is here's what we know about baseball in 2020. It has actually been announced that the format for the draft will be five rounds, and we we've talked about this a little bit, but now it's official. Scotty, this is nothing more than a disgusting cost-cutting measure, correct? No doubt. Um, you know, I, I think if we look at uh, the money that is being cut, um, we look at the amount of players that are no longer being brought into the minors. Uh, this clear seems like a clear example of a cost-cutting venture, not just for the now, um, but, you know, looking at the future as it relates to the 42 teams that are being in essence sacrificed in minor league baseball to appease MLB ownership. So uh, completely agree. This is a, a cost cutting measure um, under a, you know, facade of, um, you know, no other good reason. And it's really not, I mean, yeah, it's all chump change to us. Right. But it doesn't seem like that much of a cost cutting measure. It's, you know, the figure that I saw is that it's just under $30 million total in slot value. So each team is going to be saving a little less than a million dollars. So it's like one Ryan Flaherty is what you're telling me. Well, I mean, Ryan Flaherty is priceless. Let's let's say it's like... Uh, one Garrett Atkins? Oof. Oof. Why, why, why would you... Oof. Why would you... How about a one Nolan Ryan? How about like one-eighth Kevin Gregg? <laughs> Oh man! Oh, it's like Kevin Gray's goggles. Why? Why uh, did I have to come on this podcast and pour gasoline on you and set yourself on fire? <laughs> yeah, so it, it it's it's a gross cost cutting measure, and it's it's not even saving that much. And you know, it, it's weird because uh, baseball went from fifty rounds to forty back in twenty twelve, but to go from forty to five, you know, even if it's just for one year. It seems it just seems really drastic to me without, you know, any any real reason. Um, let me ask you this. I, I don't clearly I don't understand the economics well enough. I, I don't know who this helps more. Um, so after the, the fifth round, you know, basically any player can be treated like a, a free agent. Right. Yeah. And um, and I, I think I saw that the going rate is like. Twenty thousand dollars. I think or it's something like up that? to twenty thousand dollars. I don't think it can be more than twenty thousand um, dollars. So, who yeah. who does that help? Does that help big market teams who can afford to go over that? You know, twenty thousand dollars. If they, you know, are they allowed to exceed that slot, or I, does it help? Uh, you know, smaller market teams who can therefore make their money go farther. So, I don't think they're allowed to go over twenty thousand dollars because then that would be wild west. Is the best way to put it. Um, I guess the question is, um, if you could go against any other team and basically say, uh, you know, the Rays are offering you five thousand, we'll offer you twenty thousand dollars because that fifteen thousand dollars is is chump change, um, as mm-hmm. it were. 
Um, you know, would you be willing to do it? Um, and ultimately, I think this this comes back to um, it's such a small amount of money. And I know you know us saying that and just being like, well, twenty thousand dollars is a lot of money. But in reality, if we're thinking about it as a career investment, twenty thousand dollars is not going to get people by. I think players are going to have to think about this and say, do I take the immediate cash grab or do I go to an organization uh, that is going to allow me to get to the majors as quick as possible so that I can actually cash in on a um, a given MLB contract, in essence, saying, hey, I'm going to, in essence, bet on myself as opposed to taking the easy money for $20,000. So he's saying that... Uh basically the sixth rounders are far more in the driver's seat than they've ever been before. You know, they, they can, you know, more often or more likely than not before they can steer themselves to a a organization that basically has positions of need where they, where they fit. I mean, yes or no. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that's possible, but again, um, you know, outside of college seniors, you know, if you were to give a contract in the sixth round to a college junior, and it wasn't the right amount of money, and it wasn't the right time, and it wasn't the right organization, you could go back to college and, you know, certainly delay another year and hope another team drafted you. Yeah, I wonder if in a year like this, if there are going to be fewer high school kids in the draft. You know, like, why would you go this year? Right. Uh, and that I think that's a great point, which is, uh, with all the uncertainty and all the weirdness, is this the time that you want to do it? Or do you just say... You know, I didn't get to play spring ball as it is. Um, you know, right. almost all spring sports have been canceled for high schools across the country. You know, maybe I will, you know, go to a JUCO or my four-year mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. that I have already got a scholarship for, and I'm going to play there for two or three years just to get some semblance and some normalcy uh, with everything. Um, I, I think it's going to depend on the player um, more so than anything else. But I do, I am curious to see some of the big market teams how many $20,000 players they go out and sign. Um, so is this going to end up where the Yankees go out and sign you know, 50 more players for $20,000? And the Pirates, for example, who are in major cost-cutting mode right now, say, we're only going to go and sign three people for $20,000, and everybody else is going to get a $2,000 stipend and you know an offer to come and be as part of our training program. I, I think... That's my biggest concern, and I think once we look at the numbers when they come out, I think we're going to see a, a trend towards that um, based off of how we see other big market teams um, somewhat corrupt and somewhat abuse the international free agency signing um, in the past. Can I ask another dumb question? The Major League Baseball is you know cutting back the number of minor league uh, affiliates, and you know I know that that the minor leagues are, are technically, you know, not a, not a uh, MLB property, although some teams do on the minor league teams. Do you think that baseball will eventually treat colleges the way uh, football and basketball do as a way to, to basically uh, allot themselves a, a free minor league organization? Um, it's possible. Um, yeah. I mean, I guess you know, the the point would be, hey, we are not going to draft high school players. We're just going to let you know the college level, you know, groom them. I think, though, based off of the statistical analysis and the very much amount of you know biomechanical development that we are seeing in this day and age, um, I think Major League Baseball will 
probably continue to do the high school drafting of players because they base they want to get them into their organization as quick as possible to tailor them um, and not have a college um, potentially destroy them um, from a value standpoint. Sure. All right. Well, that that's what we think we or that's what we know about baseball. Let's move into second base and talk about the things that we think we know about baseball in 2020. So there was news yesterday on Monday about a proposal from baseball to to reopen baseball. Right. And so we, we know a lot that was leaked about that particular plan. That plan is now in the hands of the players. And you know we'll see what happens from there. But I just like to to talk about some of the facets of this particular plan and see, you know, what we think is realistic and what we think is crazy. And let me just peel the curtain back here a little bit. Scotty, you and I uh, tried to record this episode last night, ran into some uh, technical difficulties. We had a conversation about this and having 24 hours or so to, to kind of ruminate on it. I think I feel a lot more strongly uh, now than I did earlier. Um, but let, let's, let's talk first about what the actual plan is. So we're talking about the owners trying to get the players to agree to an 82 game season in which there would be a 50, 50 revenue split between the players and, and the teams. And this would, um, you know, this would be the first time that clubs would have shared their regular season revenues, uh, with the players and they're doing it basically because they're expecting at this point to lose at least 40% of those revenues, uh, tickets, concessions, parking, et cetera, et cetera, due to all the games that, that have already um, been missed. And so my question to you is, how likely do you think it is that the players will take that deal? So I, I think they're going to take the deal. I think there's going to be a lot of... Um, you know, annoyance about it because an agreement had already been reached in the past saying, Hey, we will basically prorate you and say, if we play, you know, half the games, then you'll get half your salary, you know, by returning it to, um, this given deal of 50% revenue, uh, it's certainly starting to enter into, you know, what's similar other organizations do like the NFL, where the NFL is currently offering 48% of revenue to players. Um, so, uh, I think offering 50% is not that far off. Um, but I don't think major league baseball wants to, in essence, be held to that same standard. Um, I think the players union is going to push back on it and there's going to have to be some kind of compromise. I mean, the logistics of this seem very odd. Like how does this work with, you know, contracts going forward? If, you know, the players are going to get, you know, 50, 50% of the revenue, um, you know, how is that paid out? Um, is it just an aspect of, we take everybody's salary within Major League Baseball and then figure it out. And then we basically say, you are X percentage of all of MLB salaries and you get X percentage of the 50% of the revenue. Um, is that how this is going to work? Because it doesn't sound like the best way to do it. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Yeah, um, you know there, there's a lot of you know gory math that's going to happen. Uh, I, I'm interested because you know the players have have you know given up already. And and said, you know, we'll take a prorated uh, salary if games are played in 2020. And they did that in exchange for a full year of service time, regardless of how many or whether games were played. Um, and so, uh, you know, I wonder what else is on the table for them to take this. You know, first it was, hey, let's prorate. But now, 
you know, you look at a much smaller pot of money and they're only getting 50% of it. And, and, you know, like you just said, some players stand to lose a lot. I mean, you know, Chris Davis is not going to get his, uh, you know, whopping 17 million or 23 million or whatever it is this season. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, what, what the motivation would be to take it. But then on the other side, you know, there's a lot of motivation not to take it, you know, first and foremost, from a business standpoint, um, the next CBA is right around the corner, right? So the, the CBA expires on December 1st, 2021 and opening the door for revenue sharing means a salary cap, right? Um, and so just like every other little oddity that major league baseball is trying out, uh, this has the, the chance to, to open that door, uh, open Pandora's box as, as far as, um, as as far as the salary cap goes for the players, but more importantly is the health and safety of it, right? I mean, sure. the players are are the ones that are going to be out there, you know, risking their lives, risking their health, uh, in the interest of making entertainment dollars, right? Sure, and I, I think mean, Sean Doolittle has talked about this a lot in terms of like, why would we do this in order to basically you know take x percentage like we should be getting a much higher percentage based off of we're in essence taking hazard pay um to basically right. go forward into the field and and i i hear that argument and I, I i understand where where he's coming from but i mean this also comes to the point of like you know ultimately the owners are putting together the entire facsimile of the given organization um and you know it you know, from a typical capitalistic standpoint that we live in our modern day society, um, we've never done this aspect where um, the uh, proletariat uh, basically achieved the the you know, maximum amount of money of seventy to eighty um, percent. In essence, it's always been you know the lord or the serf um, model in terms of the lord getting the majority and the serf getting you know lesser. And again. We're talking about this for folks that are making millions of dollars um, in the majors, um, not the individuals that we're talking about, the minors that are making ten to $20,000. So, you know, I, I think if we look at the rest of how professional sports is currently being run with the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, all being around 50%, I, I don't think it's that outlandish. And again, there was some really good information that came out today um, in regards to breaking out this. And, you know, if Major League Baseball is currently making you know, ten billion dollars, approximately, um, a little bit over that. Um, and Major League Baseball salaries were somewhere in the ballpark of four point eight billion um, as of last year, uh, per the whole forty man roster. You know, fifty percent is probably not that far off. But I think this opens up a can of worms of how is revenue determined in a strike uh, in a shortened season. Um, mm. We we've seen how revenue uh, determinations can be, uh, we'll call it fuzzy. Um, based off of the massing dispute between the Nationals and the Orioles, uh, I can just see this opening up a Pandora's box. So I don't quite understand why it has to be 50% and why they can't just go to, well, it's close enough if we just you know do a prorated aspect um, and just do it that fashion there. There has to be some other rub here that we're not quite understanding in terms of the whole revenue formula that uh, Manfred's trying to use. So what you just said is it's spot on. It made me it made me think of two things. The first is that you know the players are not the only the only people that are going to be uh, at risk if if opening baseball is risky, 
right? Um, I don't want to pretend to be a public health expert, um, but judging by my small little window of the world right now, um, I would not be confident that baseball is going to be safe on July 1st in, you know, 30 major league baseball cities uh, or their affiliates or their spring training facilities. I, I can't say that with, with confidence. And I certainly can't say it for the entirety of the Evan 82 game se- uh, season. Um, so you're talking about the players, you know, putting themselves at risk and you're talking about the players, families, you're talking about uh, baseball operations staff. Uh, even, even in a fanless environment, there are tons of people at the stadium that make baseball happen. Uh, every, everyone from broadcasters to, you know, camera people, ground crews, grounds crew, yep. security. Uh, so there are a lot of, of humans at risk that don't make, you know, anywhere near the, the salaries that these baseball players make. And of course, you know, we want them to be able to go back to work and we want them, you know, to be made as whole as they can since their industry is, is being held hostage by this public health crisis. Um, but there's a lot of factors involved in making sure that we can do this that don't involve the two sides that are negotiating. And uh, that really makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the biggest surprises um, that came came out um, earlier this week, too, was the antibody test study that Major League Baseball had done, where it indicated that less than 1% of you know folks had um, given antibodies that um, would basically potentially preclude them. Um, from basically being reinfected with COVID again, you know, that data and, um, you know, the studies on that are still kind of constantly being done. And this is an ever changing landscape, but certainly looking at that extremely large, uh, population set that was kind of put out there, it was surprising to a lot of folks, um, including myself that it was less than 1%. I mean, I was expecting it to be more and more in that, you know, maybe 10, 15% for the fact that it's, you know, less than 1%. I mean, you're absolutely right. You're you're basically going to start a powder keg. Um, and if one team, in essence, gets infected, and we have seen you know teams get infected in the past with like a stomach flu, for example, and it ripped through the team for for several weeks. I mean, can we imagine a, a, a situation where you know someone you know becomes positive, and then from a tracking standpoint, we say, well, all these folks are now infected. This team can't play for two to three weeks. What are we going to be doing with the schedule? So, you know, I could see it having major ramifications going forward in terms of even if the play is resumed again, you know, the, the season could, in essence, get shut down uh, within, you know, two, three weeks. Yeah. And this is this is the part where I, I feel a lot more strongly than I did last night. And that is, you know, I miss baseball incredibly. Right. I want baseball to come back. I want I want to have something to watch. I want to have something to care about. I I. You know, I I commune with with people that I love over baseball. I want it back so bad. But, you know, these are people uh, at stake. And again, you know, maybe by July, everything's fine. And and I don't know. Uh, But it just seems it it seems like a a very risky enterprise. Now, to, to go back to the point that you made about revenues, Something that I, I thought about that I hadn't really considered is that, you know, clearly baseball teams don't open their books. And so we don't know. But the idea of losing up to 40 percent of revenues is going to impact some teams more than others. You know, there are probably ownership groups that are leveraged and, and mortgaged to the hilt, you know, just to own their baseball team, just to operate their baseball team. And I wonder 
how this public health crisis that is, you know, impacting, even if it's just one year revenues, I, I wonder how uh, starkly that will impact certain ownership groups. And, you know, if we'll see ownership changes, um, if the owners will band together and do some sort of, you know, collective, uh, in, you know, insurance or, or, or what have you, or if it's going to strap certain organizations uh, to the point where they it, it impacts their competitiveness over you know the next season or a couple of seasons, um, you know again that's not something we can know now, and it might not be something we even know until after the fact. Um, but this this however long this lasts, because this may affect play on the field in ways that we we don't recognize yet. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, you know it's you know both you and i are in you know the working environment and i think you know people are coming to us and being like well, when's this going to end and it's just like nobody knows like if if i knew that uh i would be testifying to congress right now and being like here's what you're going to have to do um but we are going to be in this era of uncertainty and again i think looking at the information that is out there now for baseball you know number one there's not going to be a vaccine um developed for quite a while um you know based off everything that we're hearing it's probably not going to happen until you know maybe sometime in 2021 if we're lucky um so the only way this is going to work jake in terms of baseball is constant testing and and we've seen how good baseball does with constant testing um <laughs> so, so i mean is it possible to you know prevent it they can certainly do a really good job of trying to do it um but in essence you're dancing around in a minefield uh and eventually one of those mines is going to go off and it's going to be it, it, there's going to have to be a moral judgment at that time of do we continue going on further with the season uh if and when that happens all right so i i will say you know in summary of that point i'm uncomfortable with the proposal but let me just let, let's run through a couple of the details that have come out because it, it you know there are a lot of details that have been leaked um you know they want to start the the season in Ju- in july they would have a truncated, you know, re-spring training uh, sometime in June, probably at the spring training complexes in Arizona and Florida. And when the season starts, uh, sometime around the 4th of July, baseball would like it to happen at the home parks. But, you know, all states might not be open and, and allowing that even with uh, fanless games. Um, and so, you know, there is that option to have teams play either at a minor league facility at a spring training facility or to share uh, facilities between teams. I got to be honest, that would be super weird to, to like, you know, watch the Orioles uh, play a homestand um, in, in Ed Smith stadium or at, um, you know, Harbor park in Norfolk and then, you know, hop on a, a train and, and go to Yankee stadium. Yeah. Like, that would just be a weird. This happened to us though. Didn't this happen in 2014 where we played, a home series in Tampa. Is that right? That was 2015. Uh, that was 15. Yeah. 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 But yeah. the Freddie Gray aspect. Yeah. I was about to say that's happened to us before, but yeah, definitely weird. Uh, Cause that was the year that Steve Pierce, I think was playing second base maybe, but yeah, I, I completely agree, Jake. Um, when you see a home um, game and it's just like, well, that's not the home stadium. Um, it's a little bothersome. Um, but I mean, I think if it's at Ed Smith, it's less irksome. Um, then it's more of like, hey, we're just going to move all the games to, you know, a given, you know, stadium that is part of, you know, New York or, you know, going down and playing in the in with the Rays or something like that. 
I think that one is more like, well, that's not really a home game for us. So I'm not really sure how we feel like this is a home game. Right. So even weirder is that uh, the, the current proposal would have teams playing geographically rather than <clears throat> across the league. And so the Orioles, for instance, would play the AL East teams and the NL East teams. But the divisions would still be split up into the, the six uh, divisions that we know. So you would be basically trying to ramp up the, the wins and losses against your, your own division, who, even though it's not the same you know, AL opponents that you usually see, you'd still be playing against all the same um, opponents as your division. You just wouldn't have that, that parity across the league, so to speak. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's difficult. Again, we all want baseball back, especially two individuals that run a baseball podcast. But, you know, ultimately, um, we don't want um, the product to be tainted or sullied. And again, we've already had too many black marks on baseball over our lifetime. And again, if we look at the history of baseball, that has been the case. Um, I I don't know how I feel about starting up a season and immediately shutting it down a few weeks later. I, I think that would be really unfortunate. Well, if if baseball is played in 2020, it's going to have an asterisk anyway, right? This is going to be different. Uh, Honestly, sometime a long time from now, you know, I hope to be able to look back uh, on, you know, documentaries or, you know, clearly the hall will have, you know, some sort of mention of this season and just to see, you know, what what gets said about it. Yeah, I mean, um, I I hear what you're saying in terms of, you know, an asterisk, but I I would still considered to be a season even with 82 games um you know there has been strike shortened seasons before this certainly would be one of the shortest but you know if some team were to win the world series um i i think it would still count as a world series because you're still winning a championship sure of course but but here are three specific things that i think make this this season different Outside of, you know, we're only playing 82 games outside of we're, we're playing a weird set of opponents, right? Like, f- forget all that. I, I agree that, it, you know, baseball is just baseball. But here are three things that I think is interesting. First, uh, baseball would happen with a universal DH for the first time in history. Yep. Um, and, you know, I've, I've read that that will negatively impact the NL. Um, and uh, I'm sure smarter people than me understand why that's a huge deal. Um, but, you know, if we're going to be in a situation where NL teams are playing the AL more often because of the geographic situation and they're at a, you know, uh, disadvantage. It, it, it makes for weirdness. We haven't weirded out yet before. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, if we look at that universal DH, you know, people have said, you know, nationally teams didn't have the off season to prepare for it. You know, I think with the expanded rosters, the national league will be okay. I think certain teams will be at a benefit compared to others, but isn't that always the case? And, you know, in a shortened season, I think what's going to happen is you're just going to basically roll out your your hot hitter at the time, regardless of whether or not, um, you know, they have a position to play or not. Um, and I think national teams will quickly adapt to it. It's it's amazing how, um, uh, again, it's not old school baseball like before. These 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 managers and these teams are pretty good at what they do. <laughs> sure. Well, you mentioned the expanded rosters, which is my second of those three points uh, that makes this this season different, and that is that you know. This was supposed to be the first year that we went to the 26-man active roster. Baseball's proposal would have the active roster increase to 30 and would include a 20-person taxi squad. 20-man taxi squad, which, again, is 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 interesting. Again, if we're trying to minimize contact, 
Um, having a 20 man <laughs> taxi squad just seems really odd. I do like the idea of moving it to 30. Um, because again, you know, pitchers are not going to have the time to, in a sense, uh, you know, get up to speed as quickly. Um, so I think yeah. we're going to see a lot more, uh, spring training games where we're going to see a pitcher come in for three innings or so and then pop out. Um, so I, I think, you know, this is going to benefit a team that, um, has a deep 40 man roster has a deep farm system that they can rely on. Uh, you know, this is this is Dan Duquette's, you know, wet dream, basically. Um, you know, with as much roster flexibility that we've seen before in the past from him, um, this would have been Dan Duquette's, like, the facts would have broken in this given regard. <laughs> um, but I think the teams like the Rays, for example, could be in really good position of, they've got a lot of folks that are right there on the bubble. Um, if they can pull players in um, and use them accordingly in a shortened season, I think it's a really intriguing prospect um, to make teams like that really successful. I mean, the Yankees are in great shape, too, because, again, the Yankees are no slouch as it relates to their farm system. Um, but I think this might become more of an organizational, um, you know, talent evaluation uh, for yeah. the season, more so than it is a 25-man roster um, evaluation. I, I agree. I agree. Um, and, and there are some clubs that are better suited for that than others, both from a, a talent pool, as you, as you clearly identified. Um, and also from, you know, this, I think will be the time where front offices shine. You know, some organizations like, you know, you mentioned the Rays. I think the Dodgers are another good one. Probably the Cardinals, um, are better suited to adjust to this scenario than, than some others. Yeah, and I mean, I think if we look at the Orioles roster as it, it relates, I mean, question would be, are we going to see um, certain players up here more often and, and throwing, you know, more games? So is it a, a matter where, like, Dylan Tate will get more of an opportunity to, you know, kind of start? Does Dean Creamer, um, you know, play more innings? Uh, are we going to see oddities like... Um, you know, Michael Gibbons has obviously been talked about as a back end um, part of the, the bullpen. But does Michael Gibbons get thrown out there and saying, go give us two or three innings at the very beginning of the game and see what happens? Um, is this an ability for us to potentially stretch out Hunter Harvey? We said before that, you know, Hunter Harvey can't be stretched out because in essence, he's going to be a relief pitcher. Uh, does an 81 game season against major league talent allow Hunter Harvey to, in essence, take a Jim Johnson treatment and you know, eventually convert a closer to a starter. I think there's a lot of weirdity and oddities that can pop up here um, going into the season for the Orioles. So it's not going to be a classic rebuilding season for them. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot of interesting um, positions here. Even like Richie Martin, who again, I'm not huge on, but we, and we were under the opinion that Richie Martin was immediately going to go to Norfolk. Does Richie Martin actually stay up and actually further fine tune his skill set? Um, as a utility infielder uh, going forward for the 2020 season? Yeah, all, all good questions. My my last point that I think makes this season different, uh, should it happen, and should it happen this way, is that the playoffs would be expanded both in the number of teams from 10 to 14 and also in the number of rounds. Those additional teams require a an additional wild card round it's not as if you know if you make it through the tournament and you are the winner you didn't earn it particularly if you increase the number of teams that you have to, to pull against um but it, it's it does have a different flavor right i mean there's no different there's no reason that the um you know first year that the wild card was in place you know made made the eventual world series champion any different than the, the year before 
Um, but I think I think it will it will seem a little different. Uh, of course, that that is only if if the uh, expansion of the playoffs isn't a permanent fixture, right? This may be a, a ploy by Major League Baseball to say, hey, let's uh, try to get as much revenue as we can in the postseason. And oh, by the way, wouldn't it be nice to make all that money every year? Yeah, I, I think this is just a prelude to the next step. Um, I think this is just a practice um, getting ready for future years. I, I think this is a permanent addition going forward where uh, we move to 14 teams getting into the playoffs going forward, um, which, which will be interesting, I think. Um, we've talked about this before in, in terms of the playoff. I think overall um, it may help and it may make a lot of teams that are right there on the bubble of being that 13th or 14th team um, say, hey, we're going to go out there and try to get to the playoffs and hope for some, something weird or insanity occurring at that time in October. Um, and we certainly have seen that in the past. Yeah, and I think sometimes that'll be great and sometimes it won't, right? Like nobody likes to see seven and nine clubs make uh, the playoffs in football, right? Uh, but there are plenty of years where you have a lot of really good teams in one league and to give them all the, the chance to play in the in the playoffs will be, I think, Better for the sport, and um, you know, more playoff baseball is never a bad thing. Agree, uh, and like I said, I, I think if we look at October baseball, um, there is a heightened sense of passion and everything, um, and I, I think Major League Baseball is going to try to capitalize off of that going forward. Um, and like I said, we'll see how well they do with it. Well, who knows? You know, there's a there's a new CBA coming, as I mentioned. Maybe baseball never gets back to 162 games. You know, maybe we get an expanded uh, playoff and we go, you know, back down to, you know, 147 or whatever it was before. Yeah, 147, 148. But yeah, I mean, 56. Yeah, yeah. I I think that's definitely a possibility. Um, yeah, I think you know the only you know caveat of that, as much as it may increase, um, you know, TV deals, as it were. Um, it's certainly going to impact um, revenue at gates for, for even you know six games lost um, accordingly for teams. Mm. Um, so I think they'd have to balance that out. But overall, if you say, hey, we're going to put out more playoff games, I would certainly think that someone like ESPN or TNT or TBS is going to, in essence, bite on that and probably equal the amount of money that was being put out for those kind of given gate receipts. Sure. All right. Well, that that's second base. You know, we've talked about what we – we know about 2020. I feel like we almost got stranded at second base there for only on second base. We, we really did. We really did. We uh, we were the David Ortiz going into second base. Yes. It was a it was a long way to get there. Yes. So for third base, let's talk about what we know for 2021. What do we know about 2021? So the announcement was made that the World Baseball Classic will be canceled for 2021, which again was a little surprising to me of uh, it being made that far in advance. Um, I mean. Jake, did this catch you off guard at all, um, or was this kind of to be expected? No, it, did. it definitely caught me by surprise. I I will be honest; I'm ignorant about what it takes to prep for the World Baseball Classic. Um, but I have to tell you, I am a little bummed about it. A- and you know, at first, I thought the World Baseball Classic was you know interesting and a nice diversion. I got into it the last time, and it was probably you know because of Adam Jones. Um, but I like. I like the tournament. I, I really do enjoy the World Baseball Classic, and it's a it's a bummer uh, that we're gonna have to wait for it. I, I hope that they you know just push it back a year and then start the every three years cycles after that. But w- let me let me uh, ask you this, Scott. I mean, baseball, as you know, is returning to 
um, the Olympics, does the World Baseball Classic uh, have a future in a world in which we we watch global competition at the Olympics every four years? Um, if Major League Baseball thinks they can make money off it, I think it'll still continue. But I, I do feel like the World Baseball Classic may be coming to a close if baseball is you know fully adopted into um, the Summer Olympics. You know, that being said, uh, there isn't a ton of teams for the Summer Olympics for, for it. Um, I feel like the World Baseball Classic is kind of a, a greater melting pot. Um, but that being said, um, yeah, I, I, I think I think the World Baseball Classic will continue. I think it's a good um, area to, to you know, facilitate the game and, and talking about it um, in this March time frame. Sure. It's so also again, a great way, I think, to, to grow the game internationally. Yeah. I just, again, very surprised about it being canceled so far in advance. But again, I think it just shows that how far away we are um, from having baseball be realized again on a global stage. Um, and it does kind of point back to the 2020 um, dilemma that we sit with baseball of um, if it wasn't just about money, um, which in the, in the case of 2020, that's all it is. It's just about making money. Um, in the World Baseball Classic, I don't think is making them a ton of money for Major League Baseball. Um, it, it's something easy that they can just kind of cross off their list. If if Major League Baseball was making a lot more money off the World Baseball Classic, they would not have canceled this. They would have held out as long as possible, just like they're currently doing with the 2020 season. Sure, I always thought of the World Baseball Classic as a as a, a good way for them to advertise the sport in places like Italy and Israel and, you know, Australia and the places where there is a small baseball community that, you know, maybe if one of those teams does well, you know, it'll take hold and they can, you know, look forward to future revenues or player development there. Yeah. I mean, with Israel now, Dan Ducati is going to have to run his Israeli baseball camp more often now just to try to bring back traction to the game. I knew I could bait you with the Israeli baseball. All right, let's go into home plate uh, for this segment of Around the Bases, we've talked about growing the game internationally. And Scott, I saw a, a quick note about the Japanese Baseball League um, trying to get themselves started and thinking about maybe possibly starting in June. And, uh, you know, my first thought was, oh, well, you know, we, we are able to watch Korean baseball. Is there a possibility we, whether or not Major League Baseball starts? We could watch uh, Japanese baseball. I would love to watch Adam Jones. Um but then, you know, I got to thinking, and as you know, that's always a dangerous thing. I realize I'm not dumb. I'm not super dumb. But I realize that we only play baseball, you know, when the weather is temperate outside. But how cool would it be if all of these leagues could have their own moment in the sun and stretch out so that we had baseball all year? Right. So you've got the MLB season and that's clearly, you know, the, the main focus of, you know, internationally of baseball. But wouldn't it be cool if there was like a overlap of all of the the leagues where, you know, you know, maybe it's Korea, maybe it's uh, Taiwan, maybe it's J- Japan, it's certainly Australia. But there were opportunities to watch baseball and have the entire baseball community's eyes on those leagues, you know, in February, March in, you know, November, December to be able to, you know, have a baseball experience all the way through. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. Um, I I think missing the game um, kind of builds it up. And we we talk about opening day. We talk about like your baseball beer. 
And I think it's that anticipation factor to get to it. I think if it's a, a year round, um, you know, sport, I think it loses a little bit of that magic and allure. And I, again, I even come back from a football standpoint, there is a reason why like Canadian football, even though it is not being partaked during the regular season for NFL is not as popular because again, fans don't have that rooting interest and, and fans in essence tie a certain season back to a certain sport. So when I think baseball, I think spring and summer. I don't think fall. When I think fall, I think football. Um, so again, I think I think it's just it just doesn't fit is the best way to whoa, put it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't think fall when you think baseball because you're an Orioles fan. <laughs> That's true. I don't do that either. If I was a Yankees fan, maybe I would, but I, I generally think, you know, cold, brisk day. I'm thinking, all right, I'm gonna sit down and, and watch a football game uh, on a Sunday afternoon. Um, but you're certainly right when it comes to October. Or even when it comes to September, I'm just like, no, nah, I'm not going to turn a baseball game on. <laughs> um, now, you know, I, I already declared my Twitter bankruptcy. I will admit I haven't been getting up in uh, the wee small hours of the morning to watch the KBO. Have you caught any KBO games? I have. I've caught, I think, three games so far, um, specifically the games that are being played at 530 in the morning. Um, so my kids normally wake up really early. Right. So you and Connor are just hanging out watching baseball. Me and Connor just hanging out watching baseball. I will say that it's pretty poor quality and not from the baseball standpoint, but from the ESPN broadcast where they're not really even focusing on the game. They're just kind of doing small talk, just like we're doing on our podcast. Um, oh no. And they're kind of just talking over the game. Um, and I've really enjoyed, you know, watching some of the gifts that have come out on Twitter from the KPO uh, and just the bat flips, uh, the umpires basically doing the dramatic punch outs. So I think, you know, if they would have picked the right um, announcers here, it could have been really successful. But the fact of the matter is they picked, you know, folks that didn't want to engage with lording the sport or um you know bringing up the differences of the game but more so just being like let's try to in essence slap on a sunday night baseball uh you know kind of version of this onto the kbo and it's not even that good that's a bummer that's the that's in part why i wanted kbo with their own announcers right i wouldn't have been able to understand a lick of it but the emotion the emotion would be there right exactly and I mean, I still think that if you find the right announcer from an American standpoint, I think it could be successful. I mean, I would love to see Gary Thorne call a KBO game. Like, again, that's one of those ones where if that, if, if Masson were to come on and be like, so we managed to get Gary Thorne and Jim Palmer and they're going to call a KBO game uh, of the LG twins with Hunsu Kim in it, I'd be like, done. Clear my schedule. I don't, honey, I don't care. It's our anniversary. Gary Thorne. <laughs> Is calling a KBO game. I want to see how he's going to pronounce every single player <laughs> in the lineup, um, including his own name. A- including yes, but uh, without that kind of allure, um, I, I just I'm not interested. Is the best way to put it. Uh, I'm, I'm not Fair interested enough. in the product. Like I said, it's something good to throw on at five thirty in the morning, um, but it's not something I become emotionally invested in or you know actively listening to. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, have we have we done enough damage here around the bases? Yeah, I think we're good. Um, why don't we go ahead and uh, blow the save? And Jake, why don't you go ahead and take it away?
Scott, we talked a little earlier about the Mother's Day Massacre or Mother's Day Miracle, depending on whose side you're on. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it was last week with Charlie or if it was a week prior, but we, we mentioned how the Dark Ages gave <clears throat> opposing teams, particularly those in the AL East, plenty of opportunities to feast on a hapless Baltimore Orioles team. And, it, you know, it uh, padded their their career stats against the Orioles and, um, you know, gave them all sorts of, of wonderful uh, opportunities to, to uh, run up the score. But it made me wonder. You know, the Orioles right now are playing, uh, you know, favorite memories uh, from the past, uh, from the glory days. You know, obviously there was the Curse the Andino game. There was the Cal Statue game. There was 2131. There was the ALCS or ALDS, excuse me, in uh, 2014. Just uh, the other day they did the game where uh, Chris Hoyles hit the ultimate grand slam. So, you know, we're going back and reaching back to all these these wonderful memories. But it made me wonder. How many teams are out there re-airing classic memories of past glories that exist solely because the Orioles were so terrible, right? Like, I would love to see metrics on which teams are the Washington Generals of of the uh, you know Major League Baseball rewatch. Yeah, so I would think like the thirty to three game might be one uh, for August twenty second, two thousand seven. Um, I think that's one where the Rangers broadcast could certainly pull that up and be like, let's go ahead and watch this. Um, I think I saw one where there was one game recently. Was it 2016? No, it was 2017, uh, where the Orioles went up 5 nothing on the Yankees, and the Yankees managed to claw back and, and win that game. Um, so I think there's a lot of these. I think there's a lot of... Uh, games that are going to be played against you know the Yankees, the Red Sox... Um, there's probably some West Coast teams out there too that we've never done really well against too. Uh, I feel like every time during the Showalter years that we went out to uh, Houston, the Astros struck us out like you know twelve to fifteen times a game, even in the good years. Well, that's because they were cheating, but uh, that's a whole banging other matter. on a trash can, drumming on a street light. Nice, thanks for picking up the Doug reference. <laughs> I appreciate that. Hey, sometimes you got to think big, Jake. Uh, we're old men. We are very old uh, men. Yeah, so there there are these you know horrific memories out there for us that are are glory members uh, memories for for yeah, uh, other teams. I, I would think you know we've been watching over and over again 2014 ALDS game number two, but I would have to th- figure that uh, you know 2014 ALCS has to be big in Kansas City. Um, you know those seasons <laughs> of 2014 and 2015 were magical city seasons as it relates to Kansas City. So if Kansas City is rebroadcasting games, you know, I'm sure they're going back to the 80s, but for a more modern time, I would think 2014, 2015 is going to be, you know, on constant repeat uh, on Kansas City sports. Oh, my gosh, you're so right. God, what a nightmare. What an absolute nightmare. So, Jake, I I have some unfortunate news from your job. Um, You're going to be moved to Kansas City for the next six months (laughs) um, to facilitate the onboarding of a a new group. during this time, you will only have access to the regional sports network because we know how much you love sports. Um, I hope this is not going to be an issue for you. Hey, 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 hey. I do not want to be in Kansas City for that. Um, I think if that was the case, um, you'd have to basically come back to your work and say, so I'm going to be willing to accept this assignment. Um, but everywhere that I go, I need Chad and Jeremy to be following me along <laughs> and playing Summer Song as my entrance music and my exit song uh, every place I go. 
would be my theme song. <laughs> well, uh, Birdland, what have we missed? What are the games that still keep you up at night that you are sure that the opponents are watching? What What are the games that uh, are the stuff Orioles' nightmares are made of, and it is the sweetest, sweetest dreams uh, for opposing fans? Let us know what we missed. Tweet us. We're at Birds Eye View BAL. We'd love to hear from you. And with that, that is our show. Remember that you can find this in our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Birds Eye View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. And please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time come and get social with us you can email us at contact at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com remember all that hate mail from earlier scott at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com you can find us on social media we're on instagram facebook and snapchat sometimes but the best way to get a hold of us is on twitter where we tweet at birdseyeviewbal and with that baltimore and beyond i will bid you all a fond adieu adieu Good night, Baltimore. Thank you to all the mothers out there, specifically the baseball widows. Sarah and Carrie, thank you for everything you do. And Vi Ripkin, you know your place in my heart. Be safe out there, Baltimore, and let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.